Hello, welcome to the Cities on the Frontline Urban Exchange Podcast. I'm Lauren Sorkin, Executive Director of the Resilient Cities Network. Together with Smart Cities World, we've created this space for city leaders and urban practitioners to share the opportunities and challenges they are grappling with as they drive transformative change in cities today. I would like to thank our sponsor, the World Bank, and you for joining us on the Urban Exchange Podcast, the premier urban resilience podcast taking us around the world to meet people working on the front line. I will now hand you over to our host for this episode. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us for the Urban Exchange Podcast. I am thrilled to be here today with Dr. Tavida Kamolvej, who is the Deputy Governor of Bangkok. And Bangkok, for those of you who haven't been there, is one of the most dynamic, but also one of the most vulnerable cities in the world, in particular to the increasing impacts of climate change. Dr. Tavida brings with her experience in disaster risk management, and prior to becoming the Deputy Governor of Bangkok was the Dean of Political Science at Tomasa University. We're so pleased to have you with us. Thanks for joining, Tavida. Thank you very much for inviting me. This is really my pleasure. Well, Tavida, you've been the Deputy Governor of Bangkok since June of 2022, and you have a mandate around disaster resilience for this mega city in Bangkok. Can you give us some insight into your portfolio? What does it look like to manage disaster in Bangkok? And what have been some perhaps the highlights since you took office? Okay, you're asking about the highlight of the work I'm doing and, and the portfolio. Um, they're trying to set the light for me. And um, my, my guess is would be the data. That, that is what the, the highlight into the work I'm trying to do. Taking up the responsibility about resilience is actually, you have to start by collecting and trying to have a systematic risk data the resilience data of the city, because without without that city data in terms of where the risk presence and where the vulnerability of the Bangkok, that's that perhaps one of the most um, challenging thing that I think that I'm confronting. Because when you talk resilience, it's not only making it, per se, you're making them safe. However, in making them safe, you're talking about trying to reduce risk, you're talking about if there is an emergency or any unwanted event occur, they have to be able to adapt and then flexible for them enough and capable enough to actually get back. Bangkok is really vulnerable, not only because we are the center of everything, as a the diversity in the in the city. And then the work that we have to do, for example, in the city, you have a very dense city of, of people. And with that, you are, I'm, I'm having about 5.8 million registered as Bangkokian. But then along the way, I have people from other provinces coming to work. And I also having a people from vicinity commuting into Bangkok. So the size of service is 10 million a day. So have uh, twice as much. So by far with that, in doing resilience is meaning that providing safety, making a solution for risk reduction as well as emergency response and at any time trying to make sure that some of the vulnerability, for example, economy, and for example, that uh, the gaps between people, the uh, urban poverty is actually also be solved because that 
even if it's not directly to the risk or disaster or anything, but it's also actually somehow destroying strength of the people that can cope with anything that happens. So in terms of working, I'm dealing like what? A sample hazard that everyone knows in the city, I guess, um, a flood, storm. Sometimes we have not... Some, I mean, I have outbreak, yes. for example, uh, the COVID-19, and I also have to deal with fire. And uh, of course, it's not a, a hazard, but then I have to have a huge accident, for example, and also PM 2.5. So basically, these are all the landscape of what uh, my responsibility have to actually work every day. So your portfolio is very broad, going from air quality and accidents to more broad-based flooding hazards, et cetera, and keeping keeping people safe. I think you highlighted something that is an incredible challenge for many cities, in particular hubs like Bangkok, where you have a registered population of almost 6 million, but you have a daytime population of around 10 million. So a lot of the work that you're doing now is about actually understanding what that population looks like, what what are the tools and, and kind of the data that you can use in order to target those initiatives and make the population safer. I think you also highlighted something very interesting that I wanted to come back to, and that's around underlying factors that make people vulnerable. You talked about economics and equity issues in the city, making sure that people have access to economic opportunities. Can you talk more about those drivers of resilience and the capability to deal with different shocks and stresses in Bangkok. You were, Dr. Tavida, a member of the Resilience Steering Committee when Bangkok put together its first resilience strategy in 2017. How has this process changed the way Bangkok is working? And do you see the same resilience challenges today that were there before or do you see some progress being made? <laughs> yes, I've been in a steering committee for this for, for quite a while before becoming a deputy governor. And back then, though, back then, the first thing that I think is one of the most challenged and is a key factors. And in order to actually answer today's question of yours, what I need the most is a risk data that, that I mentioned before in, in my answer, the first answer. Why am I looking at this? Because you just asked me, how do I know what are the vulnerabilities? What kind of dimensional vulnerability that my people have? And when we talk vulnerability, we also talk, talk exposure, which is somehow geographically, if their house is actually in a very low plane, in a very high risk zone, and is prone to any shaking of the weight, or is this all of the structure need a retrofitting, or they are in a community that is very dense and is prone to fire or else. So basically, geographically, I need that information. Second, each of them is actually, you know, in Bangkok is very diverse. By being diverse, very diverse is that you have people who actually, one family living in a very, very small space, pretty much like one normal room in a big house, but then 10 families living in it. And you also have a high-rise building. You have temples. You have ancestors of those uh, structure. You have huge structure and you have small wooden house. You have people sleeping on the street too. So by far, we also have another vulnerability in terms of socio 
kind of um, vulnerable thing. So when I when I back then before becoming deputy governor, I really crave, I really need that data, and I know that is what um, Bangkok has a data that is very big, but it's very fragmented. Mm. So when I first stepped in a year ago, with all the deputy governor, we have four deputy governors. We work together and producing a risk map. And that was, I'm, I'm proud to speak on behalf of our Bangkok staff that because of their effort, has nothing to do with me, because of the staff effort, within the first um, six, seven months, we be able to put together some of the data of the risk um, in Bangkok. And we actually make it open source. Anyone can actually access to the risk map. And with this, we can plan better in terms of if within the density of the population in the communities, we have... 2017 communities registered under care of Bangkok. By all means, to be simple, this community is a very dense community and a little bit of lower than middle income kind of group. So they have lack of resources in terms of coping with any unwanted event. They are in a very geographic prone in terms of any kind of disaster. So with this data system, we'll be able to provide more and by saying providing more, it's not just keep pushing things to them, but we actually be able to make a choice that is valid and a choice that actually corresponds to their needs of increasing their capacity to deal with any circumstances that has actually happened. And that, that would be the most progressive I think it's been a factor. The second factor would be on BMA side in terms of a systematic um, governancing, managing thing. Um, Bangkok is a spatial kind of like autonomy in terms of local government because our governor is elected. However, typically, typical, and this bring about when you mentioned that I was the dean of political science before, bureaucratic system usually work apart departmentalization, fragmentation, they don't actually coordinate very well. By being able to use a data system that coordinate all of their data, even though they don't work together at first, but then when we coordinate by data and then we try to pull out the system that make them coordinate in terms of the work, people from civil engineering going to examine the strength of the uh, structure and then people from Department of Disaster uh, Prevention and Mitigation actually actually trying to see if the risk is present. Uh, district office providing resource a little more. And then another unit of Bangkok actually train the people, the volunteers in the community to be able to use this resource and plan the incident together. So these are all coming together. Even though it's a slow uh, process because it's a learning and get the system to work together, that, that's just not a very speedy process. But then at this moment, a year and three months, at least uh, people understand the work role, the new role that they have to work together and work toward resilience. Um, last but not the least, which is like the main factors that I, I hold to my heart, I have not been able to actually make it very efficient yet. Is it that, you know, when you are in the city, your life is too busy. Time management is what one of the things that we're not very efficient on. Work-life balance, <laughs> forget it. <laughs> so uh, what is the factor for the urban setting is how can we design 
a risk reduction measure? How can we decide a resilience kind of measure to actually be in their everyday life and make them think that it's easier to actually use uh, actually they're having their life every day going to work, but somehow the safety dimension, resilient dimensions is actually into their life. Make it easy. That that's what I think would be my like punching kind of thing that I really want to attack on the most. So that that would be three factors driving. I think that's very powerful and very, very practical as well, Tavida, because you're, you're using data to really define those resilience challenges and measure the progress. And using the system of data, I think that was the next thing that you really highlighted to break down barriers between departments. I mean, BMA has some over 100,000 employees working across the city. So thinking about that kind of coordination effort is massive. But what you outlined was that the data system has been a unifying force, that people are sharing that data, and then you're getting volunteers trained to understand and interpret the data and use it better. And that's very powerful. Uh, It might feel slow on your side, but a year and three months to implement that kind of system at a scale of of a mega city is is actually very impressive. I think the last thing that you mentioned is also very important here, and that is to make resilience and safety easy and a benefit, something that people enjoy doing that becomes part of their routine. It's It's got to work for them, essentially. I wonder if there are any examples of those kind of measures that you've seen as really successful in Bangkok that you think other cities might be able to adopt, whether it's something that makes people more flood resilient or better able to you know, monitor their own safety in terms of air quality. Are there some of those examples that you would want to share? Yeah, we have uh, several, though, by the way. I'm going to try to make the answer short. <laughs> um, first, um, let's say, um, let's get into the capillaries of Bangkok first, because our governor is really focusing and keen on make, making sure that all of whatever we do, touching every as small as people in the small alleys on the small street rather than a mega project. So we actually, for the past year, we implement what we call a PM 2.5 detective program. <laughs> detective. And with this, <laughs> with this, we are trying to do two, two, two things parallelly in the same times. First, we try to actually gather the data what exactly is the cost of PM 2.5 within Bangkok? So that later on in this year onward, we will then attack the root of the problem. And with that detective work, um, we're using a lot of partnership university, we're using school kids, we're using a district office, we're using people in the area, and we're also using a technology, we call it fondue system, that bringing in the information of complaint and the measure. We also link with the PM2.5 sensor. There are sensors deploying by university and by a lot of researchers and also Bangkok itself. So we be able to finally see the true um, three causes that actually attack Bangkok by PM2.5. And we are on the way of attacking the root cause of kind of like those bio kind of burning in the outskirts of Bangkok. We also have some of the problem from the outer province nearby and also from a transportation. So we now narrow it down so that from, from now on, we attack the problem. The other thing that's really cute is that students in, in the school, in our care, Bangkok, actually, under our jurisdiction, we're taking care of 437 schools. 
And this 137 school is, is only half of the school in Bangkok. And another half is like private and university demonstration. They all learn how to how the signal of the, the PM 2.5, like yellow, orange, red, and they would put the flag in front of that school to be able to see how they actually have to take care of themselves, whether or not wearing masks and whether or not you should run around outside the school and else. And from the on and outward, we're also trying to do the program of making the clean air classroom for a little one. We're on process of that. And I'm taking that part in terms of making sure that every hospital that I'm supervising, I have I supervise 12 hospitals, 69 public health center to actually have a clean air room so that any people who come to the health shake or any treatment so that they have a very safe and sound kind of like space. So that that would be one one of a very little thing that I think I, I think it's from people empowerment to actually helping one another in terms of doing that. If I can have another example that's actually using for budget management. When I was stepping into the position a year ago, suddenly in June last year, there is a fire every week. It's kind of like freshman kind of party for me, I guess. They're trying to make sure that I know what's going on. So we have fire every week, a huge event. But by, by that and then the risk map that we make, so we be able to point out where that we need the water hydrant more. So we have about like around the city, we have a, a 10, 20, uh, 30,000 water hydrant already in place, but it's in on the main street. By far last June, I realized that we need a, a little more and specifically perhaps within the street that actually uh, smaller than the main road. And we pointed out that we want 258 water hydrants more within those kind of area that is vulnerable and risk prone. And then we be able to use this map and our plan talking with another department, which is not under Bangkok. We are talking with water metropolitan um, agency and plan with them. Uh, finally, they're helping us. This is what I think any political science um, professors around the world would want the most. We'd be able to plan together and coordinate the plan and budget. Not only it's safe in terms of budget for Bangkok because the water agencies actually agree to have half-half of the budget to work together, but also we'd be able to speed up this water hydrant and perhaps by the next three months or four months, we're finishing this 258. So I think when, when we talk about our goal of making the community safe and we actually talk, I think uh, the problem of coordination, collaboration, making partnership is actually real there and, and we can work together. So it's a little bit of that and those um, um, keep the energy of the, the city to work toward this. So um, I, I think these are like two of a lot, several examples that I can shoot on. Yeah, they're very practical examples where the data has fueled the conversation on collaboration. I think, as you said, in theory, everyone is always promoting collaboration between metropolitan or state and local government. And that becomes complicated when it stays theoretical. But when it's practical and you can show that that collaboration will benefit people's lives, it's working. And it's working now in Bangkok to provide more access to fire hydrants as an example. And the other example on citizen science is an exciting one and, and one that I think could have really practical applications in so many of our cities who are dealing with air pollution issues. Mm -hmm.
want to switch gears a little bit more into the community resilience and the driving factors around the economy. Small and medium enterprises play a huge role in Thailand, and they represent more than 75% of total employment in the country and are what makes Bangkok such a vibrant city on so many levels, whether it's food or fashion. Obviously, COVID-19 had a massive impact on the businesses and in particular in the tourism sector. And I wonder how do those smaller and medium enterprises factor into Bangkok's resilience approach? Are there specific SME sectors that are being focused on in the city? And are there some lessons that you would want to share from this work in the city? Okay, talking about SMEs, let me throw the landscape of the situation just, just one bit so that so that we are on the same page. The number of SMEs in, in Bangkok before COVID is a lot because the idea of actually sharing up and there is a lot of a supporting program from the government, the national government itself as well, not only for Bangkok. And Bangkok itself, we have what we call the Bangkok brand which is the local kind of product. And it's producing by the um, uniqueness and the strength and the identity of each of the district that actually produce this kind of local product. And it's it's long way before I'm actually into the position. However, the problem is within Bangkok when the COVID attacked and most of the business within Bangkok, unfortunately, is a service business and is tied very closely with tourism. So by far, you can see the picture that not only that they are small, medium enterprise that actually have just starting yes. up and then have a very limited uh, capital and then fund. And then they actually been attacked by a very long kind of disruption. Three years is not short. And because they're relying on service business and tourism, and it means the cutoff. So so by far, it's, it's that what happened. So our pain point is actually that, okay, funding, right? The second one is that the switching, because when you rely on too much of the service business, and then when you have to switch, you have nowhere to switch. And you, you don't know where to switch to, too. And then the other thing would be the matching up between the demand and supplies, because it's, it's full of the supply side that actually dying, and then you don't have the demand because of the economic depression as well after the COVID. Okay, by far by that. Looking at the first one first, that um, right now we have local products. We have a district kind of area that actually have their uniqueness, their identity. They have some of the products is actually starting up and perhaps fall apart. Then Bangkok has a program that to actually make value added. So some of these SME that actually perhaps still alive, <laughs> still actually trying to get back on track. We're helping them in terms of doing like online kind of uh, marketing and see a logistic, a channel that they can perhaps up their skill. And it worked quite well. We, we do that and then and then make them be able to to be on track on, on, on their own. We don't have to support them much in terms of finding out another career, retraining them into another side way of the business that they can do. So so that one is, is a quick 
quick one and low hanging fruit that we actually can do. Second, right now we are actually trying to to retrain, reskill, and upskill. We have a lot of program like we are actually uh, doing kind of um, electrical kind of vehicle rider program. We have the hotels kind of housekeeper business hotel. This program so that we can feed up the labor back into a small medium as well. So not only that, we actually is trying to help them promoting value added. We see the input that they lack of, so we we train more of the input into the system as well. I'm holding one as well, not an SME, but about two that I'm training caregiver right now. 420 hours um, training with a certificate of um, being an, a career of the caregiver so that they can also taking care of a, the elder in the community themselves and they can actually make earning and, lead on, and they can actually enter to the elder kind of business, elder care business as well. So, th so that would, would be a career development that we help them on. And right now we are trying to seek for funding Right now, we are on the process of uh, forming the, um, now I don't know the name in English, I'm sorry. Is this name in Thai? Let, let me explain around it. We are actually setting up a committee that is a combination, the collaboration between a, a four sectors, which is a representative of the people, representative of private. Yes. investor, representative, and, and this includes banking as well, and also public sector concerning this uh, economy, and also academia, so that we figure it out of the way to set up the, we call it kind of like smart cities, smart innovation, smart district, that can actually pull every activities of the SME, that actually some of the district would perhaps, for example, we have medical district. This would be an innovation of people who are big, huge hospital and SME that actually working in public health sector, as well as a community working together in this spatial district that we support in terms of activity, in terms of funding, in terms of exchanging knowledge. And it will be also some of the smart area that we are trying to have them have inclusive area. So it would, wouldn't be named as a medical district. It would be only a smart district. And then the inclusiveness of it is you have a diversity of enterprises, not by sector of issue, but actually by area that they can come together and work. So these are all that we are actually trying to approach right now. And perhaps it's the next future, which I wish it should be next year, that uh, we can actually do the ease of business protocol. And with this, uh, is a business protocol so that it allows the international community within Bangkok and also the investors to be able to invest within a startup of the district area or any um, local product that we actually um, do value added and freshening them up so that it actually move up a little bit so that people can choose as a product and investment. So that would be a lot that we're actually trying to help them um, pull them back, let's say, from the depression of the economy through COVID. Yeah, that's an incredible amount of work, uh, Tavida, from SME development and supporting the services and tourism sector uh, to the workforce development that you emphasize. I think what, what you talked about in terms of providing the right skills to the workforce so that they can re-enter 
is very powerful. And in particular, you highlighted the, the role of caregivers and elder care. A lot of cities are actually facing an issue around an aging population and thinking about how to manage that and providing a clear career path and certifications around that um, is really giving dignity to the profession and an important step. And I, I'm sure a lot of other cities would want to learn more about that program in, in Bangkok and so on. The caregiver is not only actually kind of feeding into like um, ups, uh, elder business, but, um, you know, after COVID, we just learned that a lot of a lot of high school kids falling out from the education system because their parents might actually lack of funding or else. And, and they are going to be out of the education program. But then with this caregiver thing, the qualification uh, that we accept is actually you have to finish uh, junior high. That's it. And then you can enter this um, upskill program. Uh, it's going to be a very serious kind of upskill program, but then it's also helping these uh, kids that actually fall out from the education system as well. I, but I think that's very important. And it, it shows that the true resilience practitioner that you are and that the colleagues in BMA are in looking for those multiple benefits. I mean, you're, you're pointing out a, an issue around dropout rate, which is also something that many cities are facing in terms of high school dropout and low motivation when youth feel that they're not going to be able to get a good job and matching that area of vulnerability with another area of vulnerability, like a lack of elder care, and then finding a single solution is inspiring. And so thank you for also pointing out that that's something that Bangkok is doing and that you have the experience to share. I wanted for perhaps our, our last question to dive a little bit deeper into this integration and partnership between different sectors. You are highlighting the work that's happening around the smart districts and that process. And so I think you're, you're probably appealing to the practitioners and the, the professors in all of us in wanting to understand how are those districts set up to keep the private sector, SMEs, government, and the communities engaged around innovating in a specific sector and really making different parts of the city more resilient? Um, this is um, the most difficult question, actually, um, to, to, to end it with. Um, let, 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 let me make my answer like this. Tying up with the Governor Chatat um, campaign when he actually running his campaign, the campaign that he, he ran is very important to starting with to answer how the cooperation coming together. The governor is actually campaigning by the capillaries of Bangkok, which in fact, when you talk capillaries of Bangkok, people might actually looking at it as too small of the thing. But these small things is actually touch every single inch in, in, in Bangkok, which means that you're bringing in people, inclusiveness already by far. So when, when you ask me about the question of SME, so that... The work that we do is actually touching upon the uniqueness of each of the district. So the district, all of a sudden, being a center of mm. attention. So the district office itself is actually been turning around overnight that all the work, all the significant kind of budget and policy would actually be at their site. And he is actually very keen on uh, decentralization, which means that from now on, the work that we do for the peoples is actually have to answer the area, the content and the context of the district first. And it doesn't have to be a kind of like mass product. Each of the district can tailor-made 
the program and the way to use the budget. So by far, because we setting tone like this, so it kicking off by being moving the attention to the district, and then second, because um the governor himself is actually the first two three months of stepping into the position, what he actually do the most is actually making himself to actually understand the work that private sector. And the other agency of the government, as well as he is by far background in academia. So we know how the academic people work. So he's trying to tell everyone that we, as in BMA, Bangkok Metropolitan Authority, we, we cannot do it on ourselves. There's no way. For example, I said I, 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 I supervise 12 hospitals, but Bangkok has 148 hospitals. So by far, it's already mean that we need help. And by needing help, we offer first. You want Bangkok data? We make data for you. You want our um, energy? You want our staff to actually hold it? We give all we have to you. But help us in terms of academia. Help us any research alternative, any solutions. If this solution is a hanging low hanging fruit, let's try into some district. So we kind of like linking how they work together, bringing academia to talk a little bit more practical, working with the district that, hey, let's hear them out. Maybe it works and making it as a performance of the district. And that can actually perhaps balancing the atmosphere that at first it might be a little awkward to work together. For the private sector, we are Bangkok by, by itself. Bangkok is very attractive already in terms of investment. We have a lot of private sector in Bangkok, but no one is actually trying to see each of the area that private sector can work with us. Two things. Private work with us anyway for their CSR and CSER. So there is a lot of projects that they've done in public and their incentive would be tax reduction. Their incentive would be image building. Their incentive would be more of the demands to their supplies anyway. Just that we giving a city data to them, attacking niche of the people for them so that their product can actually be more of the making anyway a sale or actually cover more of the people. The other way around, the ease of business as I said, um, private sector is actually perhaps scared of dealing with bureaucratic system by two reasons. First, how slow we are. <laughs> We're really slow uh, every step of the way. The other thing would be corruption. And then within our policy, we solve these two first so that we respond to the people first to show that we are open for cutting off the unnecessary and too complicated of the procedure that private can deal with us. Second, we are actually trying to push a lot in terms of measure to counter measure with the corruption. We use technology a lot and we digitize things a lot. We actually reopen our OSS one-stop service by digitalizing and digitizing all of the data. With this, the transparency that emerged from the district and also from the center of Bangkok can show the private sector that um, dealing, making business with the, with the Bangkok is no longer be the same. And with all this coming together, then they, the private sector, they are so smart. They see opportunity anyway. And if we providing the true opportunity so that everyone gets it, not only one single group gets it, and then make them see one another and making in this kind of 
efficient process with the effective way of uh, keeping a transparency goal, the people of Bangkok can see how they work and then private can actually um, coming into place and actually make them make them more valuable in terms of service. I think everyone wins in terms of this, but it needs a very careful design in terms of system and try to make sure that we don't open another gap of inequality and inequity. And also we don't actually make the trust of the people that right now we gain more than when we came in. Not totally 100%, I guess, but then I think it's more. And then this, this momentum and opportunity can keep us work together. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that point that you ended on is so critical, is that in setting up the process and making sure that you are inviting in the community and providing the same access to that data, to that perspective, to the private sector, to your colleagues and other public sector institutions and to the community is critical. Common definitions and understanding of the problem allows each of those different players to come in and deliver for each other. And then continuing to support that is a critical way to to build trust. What you emphasize there in terms of the process is is so important. I, I want to thank you so much for all of the the inspiration and the solutions that you've shared with us. Your energy, Tavida, is is palpable, I think, through the airwaves, and that you continue to do this work with so much energy and in such a big city is very inspiring to all of us. Are there any last words that you want to share with our listeners about what they can do and how to keep their motivation as they address shocks and stresses and build resilience? I'm giving this um, compliment to um, MCR, though, Making City Resilience. I know how much that we can exchange in terms of information and whatever practice we do. And I don't think that only good lesson learned or best practice that we can exchange. We can also exchange what's practice and whatever we fall apart, whatever is actually difficult for us, so that we learn of the difficulties before we're doing it. So I think this is one of the most, um, I don't know what to, what to call it, but I think that being in these um, communities to actually be able to talk. Every time I talk to you, for example, every time I talk to you, I think I learn a little more and I understand what I do. <laughs> and I realize how much of the thing that I have not done yet. So every time that we talk and we share, I think that um, entering to MCR is actually not only giving us a benchmark that we can also tell ourselves whether or not we, we do better. But also we, we, we learn something and we share. And I think we are getting there. At the very end, we, we breathe the same air anyway. Every city, I think, even the weakest one has some strength in it. I believe in it. I used to be on the other side of Bangkok people that, that work in BMA. I mean, I, I, I'm a Bangkok kid, but I used to be academia. And I used to actually have my hopes down. I, I, I lost my hope in terms of thinking that, oh, it's too difficult, it's too complicated. But then when I stepped in, a lot of staff still willing to actually just try one more time. Let's see if we can flip Bangkok. And a lot of people still coming to actually work together. And the city has something, a little bit of that everywhere. They have something. We just, just, just work together and having your hope up. It would be a lot of helping hands when we try and when we work hard. It's just that um, a little bit at a time, just 
can cheer us up too. You, you don't have to accomplish 100 at once. Maybe 1% every day, 365 days, I get 365%. So just um, keeping this up and um, let's have a happy life and more livable city together. That would all be my last word. Thank you so much, Dr. Tavida. We are so proud to have Bangkok as a member of Resilient Cities Network and to be a partner with you in the Making Cities Resilient campaign globally as well. We are also very happy that you find meaning and Bangkok finds meaning in the community of practice and the work that we do together. The, the work that you're doing is inspiring. We will continue to be critical friends and share with each other our lessons and, and also our continuing challenges. Again, thank you so much for your leadership and for being with us today on the Urban Exchange Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you.